story time with Mama G. Come and hear a story with me. Love who you want to be, who you are. Learn these lessons and we'll go far. It's story time. Story time. Story time with Mama G. Hello everybody, Mama G here. And welcome to another story time with Mama G. And I am very excited for this week's interview because it is with an author and a poet that I very greatly admire. So with no further ado, let's get into it, shall we? everybody, it's Mama G here, and I am very excited to be talking to somebody wonderful today, and I wonder if that wonderful person would like to introduce themselves. Hello, everyone. My name is Dean Atta, and I'm delighted to be part of this podcast. Thank you, Mama G. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to have you. What do you do, Dean? How would you describe your job? I'm author. <laughs> I published a book called The Black Flamingo um, with Hodder Children's Books. And um, it's a teen, um, a YA novel in verse about a boy becoming a drag performer called the Black Flamingo. And I do drag as well with the same name, the Black Flamingo. So it's all kind of like intertwined somehow. I don't know how that happened. I was doing two separate things and they became one. Well, this is amazing because this is exactly what the podcast is about, is finding out how you ended up doing what it is you're doing now. And would you say that at the moment you are doing what you wanted, what you dreamed of doing? I am doing what I dreamed of doing. Um, and your dreams feel a bit different when they're your job. There's a bit more responsibility to them and a bit more admin, which is sending emails and making sure you get paid and things like that and booking trains and planes when we could take trains and planes. So yeah, there's a lot to it, but it does still feel like the dream, even though um, it's harder work than I imagined. That's fantastic. And you never think that admin will be a part of the dream. Um, <laughs> no. But in your case, Dean, admin just means that the dream is going very well. Yes, exactly. So that's fantastic. So <laughs> so at the moment, you're an author and a drag performer um, and a poet and, uh, you know, generally incredible. But how did this all start? Where are you from, Dean? I'm from London and I grew up there in northwest London in Wembley near Wembley Stadium, if anyone knows it. And um, I'm not really into football. I was much more into singing and dancing and acting when I was a kid. Um, so I wasn't very sporty. So Wembley Stadium didn't mean much to me. But on Saturdays, my mum would take me to theatre school and I'd do singing classes and dance classes and acting classes. And I did some acting as a kid in the West End. I was in Oliver um, at the Palladium in London. on the West Wow. End. And I was in Bugsy Malone at the Queen's Theatre as well. So I got a good, um, you know, start in life in terms of being a performer. And that was when I was, you know, 10 and 11 and 12 years old. And then when I became a teenager, I wasn't doing as much performing, but I started writing, started writing poetry. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think when you're a teenager, you have lots of lots of new feelings and um, you're trying to figure out the world and you have opinions, but many adults don't want to hear your opinions so I wrote poetry as a way to kind of like put that all down and, and make sense of how I was feeling and what I was thinking about 
and then I'd show some friends and then I found out about things called open mic nights and I started performing at open mic nights and I was often the youngest person there there were adults people much much older than me so how at this point how old are you 15 and 16 that's when I started and what sort of um places do an open mic night take place that is a terrible um, sentence. I have better <laughs> English than that. Where would we find an open mic night? Where did you find yours? They were in cafes. They were in churches. They were in libraries. They were in bars. Um, but I only went to the bars once I was old enough. Of course. Um, <laughs> but also theatres would have them. Um, and so, yeah, I just found all the open mic nights. I used to travel all around London. So I'd go to Hackney. I'd go to Brixton. I'd go very far from home to find wow. these open mic nights because I just loved doing it and I loved that actually I really loved that no one knew me so even if it went badly <laughs> I, I wouldn't have to see those people again <laughs> so um yeah and at first I was very nervous I used to read off the page and my hands would shake and so I decided to learn learn the poems like I would learn the lines of plays you know Absolutely. and things I was acting in so I'd learn my poetry and then I realized I could perform it much better that way I could use my hands and use my whole body to express what I was saying mm. So that became what I did. And that's called spoken word. But I didn't know that's what I was doing. But that's spoken word poetry when you know it off by heart and you perform it and you give a big performance. It's spoken word. Absolutely. That's amazing. What an incredible journey uh, to go on. And it takes a lot of bravery to go into spaces like that and perform your own work. And I actually, even as an adult, I struggle going into places where I don't know people, mm. which is very strange for a performer because all the time we go into places where we don't know people. Um, and I sometimes I have to have a little word with myself before I go in. So <laughs> for a 15 year old to start going into cafes and theatres and performing their own work, that's incredibly brave. So you must have really had a passion and a drive to want to share your poetry. And I loved it. I loved being applauded. <laughs> oh, well, who doesn't love that? When, when you'd finish your poem and people would clap for it, that was really a special feeling. And um, it was very different to when I was acting as a as a younger child because I was being applauded for my performance, yes. Uh, but when I was writing and performing my own poetry, when people clapped, they were performing something I'd written myself. And that felt very different than performing other people's words. So that was a really special feeling. Can you remember the first open mic that you did? I think it was at Kensington Library. And like I said, I was very much the youngest person there. A lot of the people there were like older than my mum, like <laughs> at the time. And so they were like, you know, grandparents. They looked like grandparents to me, but they were so nice and they were so like complimentary and, um, you know, came up and told me lovely things that they thought about my poetry. And it just made me want to keep going back and finding other places to do it as well. So, and how did your work compare to their work? I was quite angry. And I used, you know, vocabulary that I would use with my friends. So I wasn't trying to talk to the adults necessarily. I was just trying to be myself on stage. And so I think that sounded, you know, I'd use a lot of slang and um, Jamaican patois. And even though it was funny because I don't really speak with patois, but when I wrote poetry, it kind of felt cool to use some patois in there. And that was really fun for me to do that. And just very quickly, can you explain what patois is? So it's it's a type of English that they'd speak in Jamaica and that Jamaican people would mm. speak here sometimes amongst themselves. And um, I, I'm trying to think of some good examples. It's just kind of like, often it's like shortening of words or slightly different okay. of pronouncing words, but it sounds cool. <laughs> it does sound cool. And it's quite rhythmic and it's quite lyrical as well, isn't it? Yeah. Like, for example, if I said 
all the young people in mm. Panama, I'd say all the youths them. So I'm saying youths for young people and all of them them, like all the youths them. And then when you'd started doing open mics, you did you find you were performing as yourself or you were performing as Dean Atta, the character? It was like a character, a caricature. Um, it, it was more confident version of me. Someone once told me that I look taller on stage. And, and that was really interesting. And I think I just held myself a bit higher. And, yeah. um, you know, not always were the stages raised. So they didn't mean I was higher off the ground. It just was like I felt and seemed bigger when I was performing because I was really confident in what I was doing and I had everyone's attention and that was really special, that feeling. That's amazing because that means that you're in the right place and you're in the right space and you're able to sort of breathe in the space and enrich yourself with it, which is amazing. That's incredible. And when I was older and I started going to bars, like, so, those were different spaces. There wasn't always the full attention of the audience mm. because I was doing some of the nights. So when I was 18, I was doing some of the nights where it would be a poet, but then also a comedian and also a musician. And so the mm. audience wasn't always fully prepared poetry. They weren't there just for poetry. So you actually had to fight for their attention. Mm. And you were like the comedian because you were just talking, but you weren't making them laugh. So it was kind of like they didn't know how to take it sometimes. And so I, I, I felt like in those spaces, it's really interesting because I had to fight for their attention a bit more than I did at regular poetry nights. That's really interesting because when it becomes harder to do what, uh, to be, I don't know, what's the right way to say this? When you've got used to a certain reception from an audience, when you go into a new area and the audience is reacting differently, not yeah. necessarily because they don't like your work, but because... Because they were drunk. <laughs> they were drunk, um, which is something we don't advise, dear listener, of course. Yeah. Um, when when you left those experiences, did they help you think, well, what do I need to do next time? Did they help you improve oh, your presentation? Yeah, yeah. So I'd pick certain poems that started with something really loud or strong mm. line at the beginning. Like I had this poem called Revolution and it would begin, there is a revolution awaiting warriors. And I'd, I'd sometimes start that line from the audience and then walk up to the stage saying the poem and it just got everyone's attention. Very theatrical, it's obviously in your very bones. (laughs) Um, And just very quickly, when you were a younger child, what did you have any ideas of what you wanted to be? Were anything fantastical? For instance, when I was little, I thought I was going to be a lollipop person and help people cross the road. Oh, oh, well, of course. I was gonna run the country. And um, politics was something, and it's still something I find interesting, but I think um, performing and being an artist is kind of more suitable for me at the moment. Um, but I, I used to think, yeah, it'd be cool to be in charge of everything. <laughs> absolutely, which makes absolute sense of why when you went into an open mic situation and you were in charge of those moments you were on stage, you had such a good time. Yeah, yeah. But I think we, if you listen to how politicians speak, um, there's a lot of poetry in it. They use a lot of repetition. They use alliteration. They use kind of metaphors as ways of talking about things rather than speaking directly about them. They'll they'll speak in a metaphor. So I've, I've, I listen to political speeches or even like older speeches from activists like Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. His I Have a Dream speech is so poetic. So I think there's a lot of crossover between politics and activism and things like poetry. 
I think that's really important. And a few years ago when I started being Mama G, someone told me a parent said that what I was doing was political. And I laughed at her because I thought I didn't have a political bone in my body. <laughs> but what I have discovered since is that the act of getting on stage and having an opinion is political. Oh, so yeah. even if you don't think you're political, whatever age you are, if you have said to someone once, this is what I think, you've had yeah. made a political act. Uh, and once you realise you are political in your very bones, it's much more interesting to look at the world because <laughs> the world changes when you realise you're political. So what are Mama G's politics? Mama G's politics are that everyone has the right to be who they are. Yeah. And everyone has the right to love who they want mm -hmm. and that everyone is wonderful no matter what form you take. And we should accept that if that everyone is wonderful. So if I don't like the way you look or I don't like what you do, that doesn't stop you being wonderful. That just means that I think differently. But what I will always try and do is I will try and understand why you're the way you are. And I will always try and find out what makes you wonderful. Oh, that's brilliant. I well, love that. <laughs> I, I think it's really important, actually. And uh, the more that I tell the stories and the more that I say it, the more I realise how important it is, which I think probably nicely segues us to your uh, amazing book, The Black from Lingo, which I bought last year hot off the press <laughs> because I listened to your interview on a radio station. I won't say the radio station because it makes me sound old and middle class. <laughs> uh, but I listened to you talking about it and you read the poem that's at the end of it. Mm. And I almost crashed my car because I thought oh. it was the most astonishing thing I'd ever heard. I didn't crash my car. You don't have blood on your hands. Do you? <laughs> um, but, but I did think it was just I'd never heard anyone say what this poem says. It, uh, I can't remember the name of the poem. How to it's, Come Out he, as Gay? That's the one. How to Come Out as Gay. And it's really astonishing because it says, essentially, just be you. Come out when you're ready. When you're Don't ready. let anyone else mm. um, tell you when to come out. Don't about to peer pressure. And I think sometimes that a, a lot of people struggle with any decision that they're making is what other people think about it. And we so rarely stop and think about how we actually feel about it. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is about you, Dean, not about how I reacted to your work. <laughs> it was um, nice to hear it. How good. Well, I thought that poem was extraordinary. So I actually put the date your book was released in my diary. So I remembered to buy it because I have a terrible memory, darling. <laughs> um, and I did buy it and I just thought it was incredible. So and it's got a, a stunning story. So what was the inspiration behind the book and the story? Well, my mum's family is from Cyprus. Um, my dad's family is from Jamaica. That's where the patois came in from earlier. Um, but my mum's family is from Cyprus and I go there pretty much every summer. And one summer in 2015, we were there and um, there was a sighting of a black flamingo in Cyprus. And when I kind of saw that and heard about that and everyone was talking about it, like wherever you went, people said the black flamingo, the black flamingo. And it just kind of struck me as like a metaphor for how I felt like when I'm in for example my mum's family um you know I, me and my sister are the only black ones in the family mm. so it we often stand out from the the, the family and the, the crowd you know so when we're on the beach we're often the only black people there and so that really struck me as like how I often feel when I'm in Cyprus but then when I thought about it 
lots of people stand out and lots of people feel different at different times. And so I was thinking about like writing a story about someone that, that stands out and feels different and, and using the flamingo as the metaphor for that. And that's kind of where the where it all began, that sighting of the black flamingo and then thinking about when else have I stood out and, and what would be a good story to tell about someone feeling like they're different from everyone else. So um, I thought sexuality was a good way of kind of introducing that, but also drag performance, because I think that's a different kind of way of standing out and it's a really fabulous way of standing out and people um, love it, most people love it. And so I think, um, yeah, when you are a drag performer, you stand out um, in a way that's very empowering. And so I kind of saw the journey of my character going from, you know, being a young boy wanting a Barbie doll and feeling very different from the other boys and, and not being into sports, but being into singing and dancing. Mm -hmm. He sounds like me, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then him, him growing up and, and kind of learning to accept those things that make him different and love those things and celebrate them and then discovering um, drag performing is something he wants to do and embracing that and being celebrated for it. So it's a very happy story. Like there's there's some ups and downs in the story, but mostly he's on an upward trajectory. Um, and so, yeah, it's been really, it's been really wonderful to kind of like go from one idea and see it grow into a whole novel um and I was surprised to write a novel I, I didn't see that in my I didn't have that planned it just kind of happens like um because it's a novel in verse yes so yeah. it's like a series of poems so I just wrote one poem and then I wrote another and then I wrote another and then I have an agent and I showed them to my agent and she was um she had the vision to kind of like send it to a children's editor who said this could be a verse novel if you keep going with it and so I did. That's amazing. <laughs> what was the process of writing it like? Did you find it quite cathartic? It, I did but I had to separate myself from the character because I wasn't writing an autobiography. I can mm -hmm. do that when I'm older. So I wanted to write a fictional story but I used a lot of my own experiences. So but when my editor came back and said, oh, this doesn't feel realistic or could it happen this way or could it happen that way? I tried not to think, oh, but it really did happen like that. And think, actually, if an editor who's edited, you know, hundreds of books thinks mm. the story would work better this way, let me trust her a bit. And, and, and so I then moved away from my own story and made Michael more of a character and not a version of me. That's amazing. Mm. And that must be quite quite a challenge to do I suppose actually because you have an element of yourself in the character already to then remove yourself further and further and allow Michael to become his own yeah. incredible being well I think the main difference difficult. between me and Michael is that Michael's a teenager today you know and I'm 35 today and so to be a teenager today it's so much more free like there's so much more understanding and acceptance in society than there was when I was a teenager. In schools, there's more support and understanding. In the wider society, there are more role models. In the media, there's more representation. So Michael has so much more at his disposal and so much more to make him feel empowered than I did. And so I'm really happy that, that, that Michael can be so empowered. It took me till my 30s to be as empowered as Michael is in his teens. So there's, that's the big difference, really. And it's, it's actually incredible because I'm a similar age to you, Dean, how different it is from when we were younger. There was it was very isolating. We had no yeah. one to talk to. Talking about being who you are was 
incredibly brave thing to do and lots of people didn't really understand it and to know that it has changed so drastically and so quickly yeah. is amazing but how does it feel for you to know that now you're part of the vanguard of that changing even quicker for people in the future people will use your book and use it as an example to give them hope and yeah. amazing things and that's exactly what I wanted it to do so it feels like um, mission accomplished with this one and uh... <laughs> brilliant yeah <laughs> that's what you always hope to achieve mission accomplished <laughs> but I want to write more books and say I want to do do more of this um maybe looking at other characters that aren't um so close to myself so thinking you know about well I'm not going to say what I want to write about next but I do want to write characters different to myself because I think that would be a good challenge for me and I think that would um one thing I think my book has done for a lot of people is um given them empathy so if they're not black and 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 gay like they they can understand that experience um through learning about the character and I think I'd like to write a character um that's not like me so I can kind of like exercise that empathy for another character um with a different kind of life experience to my own um I think it'd be a big challenge and writers can get that wrong and many have been called out for getting it wrong but I want to rise to the challenge of, of writing someone very different to myself Oh, and I'm sure that will be easily surmountable for you. So. Um, and what's really interesting is that you said uh, mission accomplished, but now you're already thinking about different ways you can stretch yourself and push yourself. So even though you're here doing what you want to do, you're still finding ways to explore how you can make that bigger and better and more interesting. So even though you're doing what you want to do, it's it's also not stopped. No, I think it's always good to have goals and dreams and something to work towards. It, it's a reason to get up and be excited in the morning, um, you know. And so I have big goals in my career and I have little goals in my life, you know, like meditating for 10 minutes every day or going for a run or a cycle every day or doing 10 minutes of um, Greek practice because I'm, I'm trying to learn to speak Greek. Um, so that's been something I try and do every day. And so my little goals and my big goals, like writing another book or um, I don't know what else. What other big goals do I have? Um I don't know, making my relationship with my boyfriend last. <laughs> a big goal. That's a very worthwhile goal. <laughs> um, but, you know, and also being a role model and um, big support to my nieces. I think that's something that I, because I, for me, my dad wasn't around, but my uncles were really um, involved in my life. And so I take the role as an uncle very seriously. And so like finding good books for my nieces to read, like um, being in touch with them and having interesting conversations with them when I can be with them in person, playing exciting games, helping them like draw and write and create things. All of those are really like important to me and being a role model for the next generation. Um, like when I go into schools and do workshops as well, that's really special to me. Not because I'm trying to create lots of writers, but just because I want to give people you know the the space and the permission to have their voice and their opinions um so that's a big goal of mine and I, I love doing that work in schools but I also love doing it within my family as well yeah that's amazing that giving people the permission to understand that they can express themselves mm. regardless of what they want to do with their lives in the future and um, so before we go let's just talk about the drag performing that you do yes did this happen were you performing in drag before you wrote the novel or did it come out of the novel it was a parallel thing. It was so bizarre because 
we were talking about, you know, your dream becoming your job. And because mm -hmm. writing has become my job, like I, I write poetry, I teach it in schools and um, I get paid for it. And so then I was like, I want to do something. I want a hobby, a fun thing. And I thought drag, like no one would ever pay me to do that. But I was like, <laughs> um, so I did a course called The Art of Drag run by okay. Mike Twaits and um, at a place called the Royal Vauxhall Tavern in London. And it was just this 10 week course where we learned lots of different aspects of creating a drag persona, being funny, um, you know, creating um, a, a kind of a scene that would be compelling, how to work an audience, um, how to do lip syncing, um, all these really fun things. And then um, when they asked me, you know, what's your character called? I was like, black flamingo like uh, because that was I'd seen that flamingo in Cyprus and so then it was like I was writing these poems about flamingo and then I started doing drag and then I was like well this is coming together in this very bizarre way but it was really good because as I was learning to do drag performance I could write about Michael mm. doing drag performance and so those parallel experiences were really good and even though you know Michael in the book when he's doing drag is 18 and 19 um, and I was already, you know, 30 something, but I just kind of like used that experience and put it in a university context and had him, you know, doing it at university drag society and it all made sense. And so, but then it was brilliant because when I came to like finish the book and launch the book, I could do so in drag as the Black Flamingo and it just made it more fun. Um, absolutely when I first saw that you were doing that I thought that was absolutely incredible I was sure it was a cynical marketing ploy <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I could see that it's not um, wow. I now, thought the best of everyone and thought they were wonderful <laughs> <laughs> no of course I do of course I'm just having a little josh with you Dean um no it, it's absolutely it's a genius idea and what was your first drag performance like it was terrifying and I'd mm -hmm. spent about half an hour trying to glue my eyelashes on and oh. I was getting really frustrated and upset but everyone else was also getting ready and didn't have time to help me until I literally like broke down and said can someone help me with my eyelashes <laughs> and then someone really kindly helped me and uh, it was all good but I had friends there I had family there um, and it was just really um, I think transformative for me because it was something I'd held myself back from doing for a long time. Like when I was much younger, I had friends that wanted to put makeup on me and, and get me dressed up and I'd always resisted it. And um, doing it, I felt so liberated and like it just gave me permission to express my femininity and to have a lot of fun on stage and um, yeah, to make people laugh. Because a lot of my poems are so serious and in my drag, I can be fun. And that is just really great for me. And what is the Black Flamingo like? Uh, very sassy, very confident, kind of loves Beyonce and <laughs> um, really loves themselves. Like, that's the big thing. Like, it's a, it's a character that is really empowered and, um, you know, tells other people that they can love themselves too and they don't need to fit in um, to be lovable. They can be lovable for being unique. And um, I think that's the wonderful thing about the character. Uh, well, the Black Flamingo sounds fantastic. And do we have the opportunity to see her at any point in the future? Um, well, not, not, not whilst we're in 
My quarantine. diary's like wiped clean. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, that was a cruel question. I'm sorry to have asked it. I do do something called the Black Flamingo Cabaret. And um, I was actually meant to be doing that yesterday um, in London at Keats House. And so it didn't happen. But hopefully it will happen in the autumn or, or whenever we can. So, yeah, just if people follow me online and look for when I post about the Black Flamingo Cabaret, it's a night where I host as the Black Flamingo and have other black LGBT performers, um, whether they're singers, drag performers, poets, um, all sorts of um, cabaret performance. It's really fun. So that's something to look out for in the future. And how do people find you online so they can make sure they don't miss the next Black Flamingo Cabaret? So deanatta.com is my website, D-E-A-N-A-T-T-A. And then it's Dean Atta on Twitter and Instagram. And I have a Facebook page as well. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Dean. And make sure that everybody you go and follow Dean's pages online. I'm now looking at the microphone rather than Dean. It's got a bit weird. (laughs) Um, So uh, everyone say goodbye to Dean. And Dean, say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, Bye. So that was the rather lovely Dean Atta, the author of The Black Flamingo, which is a wonderful book that you can get absolutely everywhere. And I would recommend if you have teenagers in the house or if you're a teenager or even an adult, it's absolutely worth buying because it is an incredible novel all about being who you are and loving who you want. And basically, that's my theme, isn't it? So... Yes, The Black Flamingo by Dean Atter. And if you want to follow Dean, then you can find him on social media and on his website. And hopefully, if I've remembered, I will have put all of those details in the description of this podcast. And now it is time for The Book of the Week. Now, if you are watching... Now, if you are watching my Facebook Lives, then you will already be vaguely familiar with my book of the week because I featured it a few weeks ago. Last week. Yes. Yes, last week. I couldn't work out where I was then because days and time don't really matter anymore, do they? Well, last week on my Facebook Lives, I told the story, the best mummy snails in the whole wide world. And I thought I would make it my book of the week this week because it really is a rather special book about two mummy snails, Jane and Felicity, and they both become pregnant at the same time and they bring up their children together. But the special thing about Jane and Felicity is before that they became mummies even, they were already very much in love with each other. And it's a really lovely story about how families come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and how every family is special, incredible and wonderful. The book is by Troy Jenkinson and it has illustrations by Benjamin Blacknell and Gavin Morgan. It's a very lovely read. The illustrations are very fun and it's part of a series. There is another book as well called The Most Contented Snail in the Whole Wide World. And if you are interested about either of those books, if you go to my YouTube channel, then you will find me reading them on there. 
as well. And of course, go to Amazon and buy the books because we all need a few treats right now, don't we? So that's my book of the week, The Best Mummy Snails in the Whole Wide World. So that was my book of the week, and this was Storytime with Mamma G, featuring my fabulous guest, Dean Atta. Now, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, just search for at Mamma G Stories, and you can also find me on YouTube, where I'm putting up lots and lots and lots of new content, so take a look over there, just search for Mamma G Stories, and make sure you subscribe to my channel, and don't forget that every Wednesday and Sunday at 6pm British Summertime, I am on Facebook doing my Facebook Lives. It would be lovely for you to join in and share the love with all your friends. You can send me comments. I'll say hello. We have story challenges. We do arts and crafts. It really is a marvellous time. It would be lovely if you were there to join me. And if you are able to support the podcast or my Facebook Lives, then please do feel free to go to patreon.com slash where you can sign up for lots of exclusive goodies, including a bedtime story series only available on Patreon. And also you can go to ki-fi, no, ko-fi.com slash stories and buy me a coffee if you'd like. Thank you ever so much for listening, and I will see you all next week when I will be talking to the rather wonderful Sarah Birchall from Cub and Pudding. See you soon. Bye. It's story time with Mama G. Come and hear a story with me. Love who you want to be, who you are. Learn these lessons and we'll go far. It's story time. Story time. Story time with